Hi, welcome to James Miller Lifeology, where you learn to simplify and transform your spirit, mind, and body. My name is James Miller. I'm a licensed psychotherapist and a composer. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Let's get started. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to listen to this show. When you're done listening, I hope you take a minute and write a quick review on whichever radio or podcast platform you've heard this show. Your insights will help others to be inspired and encouraged. I have a great show for you today. I'll help you realize the importance of physical exercise and mental health. I'll also be interviewing Dr. Weta Brown, who shares her personal story of using physical fitness to overcome the death of her mother. This has inspired her to become a marathon runner and to stress the importance of physical exercise with her patients. I have some exciting news. Did you know that I'm on the radio three times a week? You may hear me on the same station on Tuesdays at 1.30 p.m., Fridays at 9.30 a.m., and Saturday at 12.30 p.m. You may also hear me anytime on iHeartRadio, as well as on all the other major podcasting platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and many others. Simply search for the show name, James Miller Lifeology, or simply go to jamesmillerlifeology.com. Exercise and mental health. In previous episodes, I've discussed with you the way our perception determines what our emotions are and then our emotions then determine what our body does. In every situation, our thoughts are going to determine some type of emotional experience. Whatever those emotions are then tells our body how to respond. For example, if something happens and you think that you've been wronged in some way, you then experience feelings of frustration or anger. That anger or frustration then translates to maybe raising your voice or to getting in somebody's face. It's a physical movement. But what happens when you're struggling with something in a really negative way? Let's say you're depressed about something, you're anxious about something. What do you do? One of the most important things for anybody to do is to build things into our life before we actually need it. And one of those things is exercise. Now I know some of you are thinking, oh my gosh, James, I do not have time for this. The idea of going to the gym is overwhelming for me. And that's not what I mean at all. Exercise is just essentially physical movements that you can do that's going to help you take this energy from your emotions and it's going to burn it off so it's not stuck in your body. Have you ever experienced something that really caused a lot of anxiety inside of you? And then all of a sudden you can't sleep. The thoughts you have, they go over and over and over again, or you just can't even sit still. You feel like your body is always moving. So of course that is anxiety, but that's really a frenetic energy that has been created because your body doesn't know what to do. For example, that's why people pace so much. Let's say you're thinking about something, you get overwhelmed and you stand up and you start moving back and forth and you're moving your leg or you're jittering your hand. All those types of things is just your body saying, I have to release this energy. So once again, that's why it's so important to incorporate physical exercise in your life. You could determine what physical exercise looks like. And of course, you want to try something more rigorous. Make sure you get that cleared with your licensed medical practitioner. But for those of you who never really implemented exercise in your life, it is good to figure out how to move a little bit, how to proactively build some type of physical movement in your life. For example, if that's going for a walk, if that's taking the stairs instead of the elevator, those small movements really burn off the energy of the emotions you're experiencing. And the more often you do that, the more you'll find that when you do feel overwhelmed with these powerful emotions, that when it expresses itself in your body, you'll have already started to burn it off. Think of metabolism. 
For the majority of us, our metabolism works pretty well. And so every time we eat something, it burns it off. But what we put in place before that allows the metabolism to already be working before we need it. It's the same type of thing with the physical exercise. We put it in place before we actually need it to burn off the emotions. And that's how we feel better about ourselves. Some people experience what's called a runner's high. They run and run and all of a sudden they get all these endorphins and these neurotransmitters in their brain, which cause them to feel so good. And that is a wonderful feeling to have. The more of those physical exercises that you do, the more it creates more dopamine in your body. Dopamine is that feel good chemical that our brain really loves to feel. If you're struggling with anything today, whether it's mental illness, whether it's a life stressor, whether it's anything at all, I guarantee you get up and move, maybe even sweat a little bit, you'll find that it burns off whatever the emotions are that you're experiencing. There are so many wonderful benefits to physical exercise and mental health. So today I really want to encourage you, use this new tool and technique is gonna give you the breakthrough that you need to move beyond whatever you're experiencing today. I wanted to take just a quick moment to thank you all who continually support and listen to James Miller Lifeology. I have been so blessed and honored by your continual support. However, I want to make sure that you don't miss out on anything exciting that's happening over here. So go to jamesmillerlifeology.com or lifeology.tv and sign up for the free weekly recap. Each week, I will send you an email which has all the latest radio episodes, YouTube episodes, magazine articles, and self-help products specifically for you. Once again, go to jamesmillerlifeology.com or lifeology.tv and sign up for the free weekly recap. Wida L. Brown is a sports medicine orthopedic surgeon who lives and works in Chicago. She has run eight marathons, more than 18 half marathons, and a plethora of 10-mile, 10K, 8K, and 5K races. In her practice, she encourages overall health and fitness through diet and exercise. She's so passionate about fitness that she decided to become a health coach to further help people with overall health and wellness. She is going to share her own transformational story with us today. Welcome to my show, Wida. Thank you for having me. You are very welcome. Well, I should call you Dr. Brown because you worked so hard for that. So I'll definitely honor that hard work in this interview. Thank you. So yeah, it's amazing. You've done so many amazing things. You know, when, you, when my listeners don't yet know this, but there's so many different roles and careers that you had all in the scope of health and wellness. And I think it's just bespeaks to the person you are, your own life passions and how you really want to help people in a very holistic way, their spirit, mind, and body. So it's really neat because you and I have the same uh, vision, if you will, but we just practice it in slightly different ways. Yes, yes. So now for you, when did your passion for health and wellness, when did that really come about? Well, when I was growing up, I was overweight. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember my uncles and relatives making fun of me being overweight. So I always was conscious of my weight. Mm -hmm. Um, and my mother wasn't the most healthy person as far as diet. I'm from the South and traditional Southern food is uh, not always the healthiest food. Mm -hmm. Um, we like to eat family gatherings. So a lot of things are centered around food. When I went to college and, and realized that I was not the size I wanted to be, I got more interested in eating healthy and working out. Um, but my love of running came later. Mm -hmm. After my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer, I uh, decided to run a Susan G. Komen mile. Oh, wow. That's amazing. The mile run. And so after I did that, um, that was when I was in medical school. Okay. Well, let's, let's stop for one second because I want to go back to this. But first off, thank you first off for just uh, being transparent about your mother passing away or uh, diagnosed with, with breast cancer. That's, that's a very 
we're definitely going to honor that, the, the memory of this amazing woman. But I wanted to go back to when you were younger and you felt like you were overweight or when you were told that you were overweight. Now, was that, were you really overweight or is that just what everyone was saying to you? Because I think there's a difference between a childhood, you know, going through your, as one, one's body changes versus one truly being overweight. And, you know, many times people can misconstrue that and then it becomes a whole mental um, struggle when we're older when we really weren't overweight when we were younger. Does that make sense? Yes, I was overweight. I wouldn't say I was obese, but mm-hmm. I was overweight. Gotcha. Okay. And then when did you find that that really impacted your self-esteem as you were getting older? As you were, it did. Or, yeah. It did. It still does. I'm always seeing my cognizant of how much I weigh. Mm, yeah. And I think that's, you know, I was actually, people don't know this about me, but I was an overweight child as well. And for someone who was who can relate with that, uh, you know, with what you're going through as well. I, I, you know, for me on a personal note, I'm very conscious of what I eat. I'm very conscious of what I, of what I, how I work out my fitness as well. But I think people who perhaps struggle with that as a child, I think that they're much more conscientious (laughs) about that. You know, some people are more proactive with it like you are and some people for whatever reason aren't, but I do think that that is in the forefront of our minds if we're not careful. Yes. Yeah. So when you were in college, how did things start to change for you? How did this become um, just kind of your, your passion? Well, just being, trying to be social and go out with my friends. And I, I just wanted to be smaller and more healthy. And um, I was involved in a lot of activities. And just I was in physical therapy school. So it was really um, a strenuous schedule. But then I wanted a social life. So it was, and I felt better when I was physically fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exercising and sleeping right. Well, I used to do step in aerobic classes when I was in college. Oh, and nice. Okay. So, but then they started bothering my knees. Um, so I stopped doing that for a while. So how did you get into the physical therapy? I mean, what, what was it about that that really drew you to that, um, to that major? Well, when I was in high school, I said I wanted to be a physician, but I didn't know if I wanted to be in school that long. So <laughs> yeah. I, um, my mother was a counselor and she had all these books on different fields. So I didn't even know what physical therapy was until I went to a, a seminar and they were talking about different fields in health and science. So my mother had a book on physical therapy. So I, I read it and I went and I volunteered at this local physical therapy clinic just so I can see if it was something that I uh-huh. liked. And part of the admission process, you had to have so many volunteer hours anyway. So I did that. I enjoyed it. So I just wind up engine. I ended up majoring it in at physical in physical therapy. Ah, okay. And then with that, so you you graduated with that, and that was something you did for a few years, and then you decided to go to medical school. Yes. So tell us about that. How did you go? Because if you weren't sure if you wanted to be in school that long, you're now in physical therapy. Uh, well, let me back up. So as a physical therapist, can you do that with a uh, bachelor's bachelor of science, or can you do you have to do it with you a master's? At that time, now oh, okay. all programs are doctor. Uh, oh, really? I didn't realize that. Okay. Oh, okay. So now, so you decided to then go back to school um, and then become an orthopedic surgeon. How did you make that transition for yourself? And because that's a huge difference between, okay, I'm doing one thing and now it's, I'm, I'm totally expanding my medical understanding and my medical world um, and to go back to school. So how did you make that transition? Well, I was um, a, a traveling physical therapist for about a year. So I was working in Ohio and I was working at a teaching hospital. So they had a lot of residents and I used to see all the medical students and the residents in their white coats going around, around. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I want to do that. Uh, Cause I got kind of bored doing therapy. I liked it and I like 
planning treatments and I like the whole aspect of it, but I felt like I still wanted to go back to school. And my plan was to work as a physical therapist. And if I just still wanted to go to school, I could always go back. I had to take a couple classes. So that's what I did. I, um, I reduced my schedule. Well, physical therapy is really convenient because I could, I did home health and you can schedule yours. Oh, that's schedule. great. Yeah, of course. Organic chemistry doesn't have night classes. So I had to take classes in labs in the middle of the day. So I just scheduled patients and I did a lot of um, weekend work. They need weekend coverage just so I can pay my bills while I was taking my classes and had time to study for the MCAT um, so I can get into medical school. When did you graduate from medical school? I graduated from medical school in 2002. 2002. Okay. And unfortunately in 2008 is when your mother passed away. Yes. And during that time, you know, you're, 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 Obviously, your mother's seen all this amazing transformation in her life. You know, you're moving forward in your career. I'm sure she was so, so, so supportive and so um, proud of you. But as you see the decline in her own life, uh, she was, you said, diagnosed in 2003, I believe, with breast cancer. When you started to see that decline in her as your life is changing and morphing and, and you're growing in your career, how was that for you to kind of have the balance of both of those things, of, of seeing your mother and then yourself? It was difficult that um, she hid a lot of things for from me, I was in my first year of um, training was in Oregon, so I was far away. So I didn't get mm-hmm. home very often. But um, our chairman, which he's the greatest, Dr. Dershow, he um, helped me get home after she was diagnosed just to see her for a weekend, even though I was on a plane more than I saw her. But I thought that was really nice. Yeah, of course. Um, so she kept a lot of things from me because I thought she was better than she was mm. after she passed away. And me finding things, I realized that she was hiding a lot of things from me because she didn't want me to worry about yeah, her of course. finish my training. And that's the thing. I mean, that's that's what parents who love their children, that's what they do. Of course, us as children, we're like, well, I would, of course, I would want to have known, you know. And so with that, you know, I'm sure on the back end of that, as you're grieving for her and finding all this out, I'm, I'm sure that was just difficult. You know, it is difficult to lose a parent. But to, to know how much obviously she loved and cared about you to keep that a secret so that you could thrive in your own way. That what a but still a beautiful gift she gave you. Yes. So when she passed away, though, that's when things just kind of started to fall apart for you. Yes. Um, we were very close. I didn't get home very often because I was, being a resident is very grueling. Even the, the weekends I had off, um, I still had, sometimes I still had to round or I had to read, prepare for something. And I was just too tired to just mm-hmm. physically drive for hours and stay awake. So it was difficult for me to get home because I was in Oregon, but I, after she got diagnosed, I talked to my chairman and there was an opening in Alabama. So I transferred to Alabama so I could be closer, but it still was hard for me to get home like I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, for sure. And with that, that you found that the, the downtime that you did have after she passed away, you found that your diet and exercise and your overall wellness started to take a decline. Yeah, I just, I wasn't, I'm usually a bubbly, happy person. No matter what. I mean, I have my down days like every. Yeah, we all do. Sure. But um, I was down all the time. And it's things that I enjoyed doing. I didn't want to do them anymore. So I just used to go to work, which was, I guess it was good because it helped me from thinking about my low state. But Mm -hmm. I I went to work and I used to come home, watch TV. And I I used to stay by the river. So I used, and I love water. So I used to look out of my window at the water and just cry. And I was depressed Mm. to eat. So I gained think at least 15 to 20 pounds over that oh. time period. How, how long was that period of time? 
Um, she passed in October and then I was at home because I had just finished I had just finished my fellowship. I was gonna go home, stay a couple days, and then come back and start my new job in October. But I wound up being at home for a couple months because I had to take care of her affairs. And I just mm-hmm. wasn't. And my job was very understanding because I was supposed to start on October 1st. But I started like the middle of October or toward the end. Um, so I had to take care of affairs and then I, I had to get back to. And it was just hard to start. It was I basically it was supposed to be a like my new life because I have a job. I'm, I had, I've been. In- yeah, of course. You've all this hard work. It was. It wasn't enjoyable. I used to, I lived in Philadelphia at the time mm-hmm. and I loved it because I, I like going out. I like meeting a lot of people at different political events. I was interested in politics at the time. Um, but I didn't want to go out. I didn't want to do movies. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to be at home. Which is a form of bereavement. I mean, the bereavement without, diag- I'm obviously not diagnosing you, but bereavement itself is a six month process. And so that's, and then if people struggle with that afterwards, then it's, you know, maybe something different. But that bereavement component is so difficult. And I think, you know, on a personal note here as well, my father passed away um, in 2010. Oh, and to, to, I can understand the whole getting the, getting the affairs in order. And it's hard to grieve because here you are grieving someone that you've loved. And then, but yet you have to put that aside to be the executor, if you will, or, or to do all these different things. And it's really hard. So it makes sense that people struggle. You know, that bereavement is probably a little bit longer than six months because it's really hard to put those things in order. So I get it. I get that, how, yeah. how you're struggling. I get how depressed you are. I get how you didn't want to do anything. You know, why would you want to do anything? Because you're grieving, you know? And so in that, that's the whole process of grief is you've got to work through it. But when that, but you had a great friend who gently said something to you as far as, well, I'll let you kind of fill in the blank there, but you had a friend kind of, um, help you through that towards the end. What what did this person say to you? Well, um, I had a good friend, which he's he's doesn't bite his tongue. He's kind of blunt. He told me, <laughs> he told me that I needed help. <laughs> well, that's a little. At first, I didn't listen, and he made a a great analogy because I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I fix bones for a living. And he said if someone had a broken bone, they wouldn't try to fix it themselves. And I said no, that would be silly. And he was like, Why are you trying to fix yourself? And I'm like, That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually listened and I got a counselor. Mm-hmm. Um, if it wasn't for him, I probably wouldn't have. Because I don't know why it's a stigma. Like something is wrong when you're depressed. Yeah. And it's it's not. It happens. It happens to everybody. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's a thing. And I think you make up a really good point as well is I always encourage people, go see a therapist when things are going well. Okay. Um, because it's not about going when, you know, we all think, well, I guess many people have this idea of what a therapist is. Uh, from like the TV shows or things like that. But, you know, uh, like couples counseling, I always tell people, couples go to see a therapist and things are going well, really revel in that. Because when you could do quote unquote preventative work, then you're not going to necessarily need it when things are breaking down because you've already put those things in place. Now, obviously there's situational things that happen in our life, but when it comes to daily maintenance, when we can kind of figure that out for ourselves, that's how we live and thrive. Now, obviously your situation was different because you had a loved one pass away. But I just want to throw that out to my listeners is, there's no stigma of going to see a therapist because you should see a therapist. You should talk or talk to somebody who's um, who has a different perspective of you that that's um, has training in that to really help you revel in, and to enjoy life and to maybe point out some blind spots you didn't see or some potential pitfalls that may be in your way. So I'm so glad to hear that you went to this person. So you saw a therapist and how did you find kind of refine that your, your bubbly self again? Well, I saw I saw two therapists. Um, mm-hmm. She had me do a lot of 
soul searching, a lot of different exercises. Some of them I thought were really silly. <laughs> Sometimes um, they are. <laughs> it, it actually, I don't know, it, it was a slow process, but it's like gradually that with the running, actually, it I started feeling like my normal self again, slowly. Mm. Um, and it's like, part of me felt like guilty if I was, I don't know, being happy. Like, you know, I, I still miss my mother, but yeah. I realized that it's okay for me to go on my life and live my mm-hmm. life. My mother wouldn't want me to be depressed and sad because she really worked hard. I was a spoiled child. My mother really worked <laughs> <laughs> hard for me to be successful. And I know she wouldn't want me to be depressed yes. and not enjoying my life. Yes. So that's what it gradually it, I got back to being myself and we started talking about, which is interesting, like my dating life and how I made wrong choices. So that mm-hmm. became primary yeah. focus of a lot of my counseling. Sure. Well, how, how, interesting, how did you rediscover running again though? Um, well, because to go from just sitting down and being isolated and, and have, um, anhedonia, in other words, uh, not wanting to do the things you've enjoyed before. How did you go from that lethargic self to this person who runs <laughs> like all these things? Um, part of the transformation, the counseling, when I start feeling better, I realized, okay, I need to lose this weight. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. like, this is not me. I felt like uh, I just didn't feel like myself. So I started running on the, on the lakefront. Again, I love water, and I lived by um, in Pennsylvania and, and Philadelphia. So I just started running. Um, how I began running initially, like when I used to do Susan G. Coleman, was I used to run around the track. I did one lap, and then mm-hmm. I'm back a lap, and then until I built on my endurance. So I just started off running a few, like walk run for a few minutes, and then I built my endurance back up, and then I did a, a 5K, Susan G. Coleman, and then I wound up doing a five-mile run. And I met um, a friend named Nicole, and she taught me into running a um, from five to a 10-miler, which is the Broad Street, which is one mm-hmm. of the biggest 10-milers in the country. She taught me doing the 10-miler. And for the train, I used the half marathon program. So I did the 10-miler, and then I ran for again at a race, and she taught me into running a half marathon. I was like, oh, that's Nicole. She's a pusher. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I already trained for it, so I ran my first half marathon. It was called the Odyssey Half Marathon. And I met this group of runners, um, which they call themselves United Nations, because uh, we were from all different countries, different places. Mm-hmm. So they recruited me to join their running group, and they used to run like twice a week. And, and on Saturday. So I used to, I started running with them. I said I was going to do, um, I initially my plan was to do one half marathon and go back to running three to five miles by my house. But I started running with them and they became like part of my family. So I socialized with them or I ran with them. Um, we used to travel and run into Jamaica, did a half marathon. Wow. So, so it became a culture. You, you, yeah, you found, yeah, the culture was, was created in such a way where such healthy things you do. I mean, some people go out and, and, and I'm by no means am I minimizing what they do, but let's say they go out, they go out with their friends, they go to the movies, they go to a bar, they do whatever. That's a culture. You created a, a different, more, a, a culture that has a different return. Yes. Yeah. Now, how do you use your, your health and wellness and, and your own um, things you've overcome in your life? How does that manifest itself in your practice? Well, I can relate to patients. One, um, say I've had surgery. I had um, I tore my meniscus. Mm-hmm. I did too, actually. <laughs> after I think it was Witchy Marathon. But I tore my meniscus 
um, and I had to have surgery. So I could relate to being a patient, having to take off work, having to find someone to take me to the hospital. But I'm sure it's different though, as, as a practitioner, when you see patients who maybe don't have sports related injuries, but to know what it is like for an athlete or someone who does run or someone who has some sports related injury, how difficult that is, because if that sport is their, how they burn off energy or they burn off their stress, they burn off all the anxiety and to not be able to do that. I mean, you can totally relate with that because now you have to figure out, well, now what am I going to do? I feel like I'm going out of my skin where if you have other patients that's, that's not sports related, they may not really get that. And they're, I don't want to say they're fine with it, but they're a little bit more sedentary. Yeah. I I, was, I had a patient actually a couple of weeks ago. She has knee arthritis mm-hmm. and she was going, it was around the holiday weekend, the 4th of July holiday when she was saying that she was kind of down and she didn't really go out and enjoy the holiday because she hurt so bad and she didn't mm. really want to be around family. She I was almost in tears. And I told her that we got, uh, basically I came up with a treatment plan to help her and tell her to have faith and, don't mm-hmm. and just do things. I was telling her about one of my friends. He's a runner, but he actually he hurt his knee at a picnic dancing. Like, <laughs> and he um his his knee still bothers him. He does he can't run right now because of the, the pain. But he's he's swimming now. He's swimming oh. and he's doing a bike. And I was telling her last year I had to have um procedure on my foot, and I uh, told her that we took a uh, picture came up on Facebook. It was me. I had a boot on, and he had crutches because he had just hurt his. So we were out at the picnic having fun. So I told her, don't stay at home. Do what you can, even if you take a cane or a mm-hmm. crutch and have fun, enjoy life. So it made, it cheered her up. So it's also just kind of finding what, what you can do as opposed to what you mm-hmm. cannot do. Yeah. So it's just a different version of, of that physical movement, which, I, which as we know is so healthy. In fact, I just saw an article about there's a new, I don't say new trend, but well, I guess it is a trend that some uh, mental health therapists are actually running with their with their clients okay. and they're running together and that's how they talk so their session is running and i was like that is really cool however if you have like i used to have like 12 patients a day <laughs> that's 12 hours of running so that would not have worked but but isn't that neat though that's really cool that people are really starting to do that yeah you can bike with them yeah i didn't see look at you that's why you have all these great treatment plans you come up with all these different things yeah see i just started cycling i'm training for a triathlon wow. next year so i, I just cycling group and they're intense so and so um that's my new passion mm-hmm. so you really found your niche if you will the sense of the the medicine but also just that incorporation of the health and wellness from the physical standpoint from the spiritual standpoint from the nutritional standpoint i mean everything is really kind of wrapped up in your practice and what you live and what you teach yes and i think with yes. that you know coming from i'm sure when you reflect on that, that young little girl who may have been overweight versus who are, who you are now. Yes, you're the same person, but it sounds like you're more settled in with who you are. I am. And I'm, I was, I don't know why I was, I was doing a, a book reading the other day and mm-hmm. I was talking about how I've lived everywhere and it made me the person I am. Cause I love meeting new people. And I have like, I have a lot of friends from all over from college. So I've lived 10 places in my life. And just from different running, I ski, I'm biking now, and I'm swimming. So I have all these 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 friends, and it's, it makes me who it's a part of who I am, and I, I like who I am. Not that I'm perfect, but it's like I'm different from other people just because of my background and what I. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some of my friends think I'm crazy. Like, why are you getting up at five and to run <laughs> 10, 15 miles? It's crazy. So, but that's what I love to do. So, and that's why you're successful. Yes. So it's, it's, it's made me who I am. And I always couldn't say that I liked myself growing up. Just look, I had some self-esteem. My weight maybe was part of it. Sure. Just all in general. My parents got divorced early when I was like 10. So I think that might have played a part in it as well. And you know, and I think that's a great thing is today you could say, I like who I am today. I love who I am today. I'm excited about life today. And so I think those are the things when we can look back on our life that, yeah, there were highs and lows in our life, things that we didn't understand as a child and maybe things we don't understand as an adult now. But when you put all that together into the beautiful, beautiful tapestry, that is Dr. Wita L. Brown. <laughs> and that's a beautiful, wonderful thing. So now, if my listeners would like to find out more information about you and about all the amazing things that you're doing, you, you wrote a book. We didn't get a chance to talk about that. You wrote a book. Um, so why don't you tell my listeners where they may find your information online? Um, the best way is my website, which is um, we, my name is spelled O-U-I-D-A. So it's we, O-U-I, life, L-I-F-E, we love, O-U-I-L-O-V-E. Excellent. Okay, so I'll definitely put that on my show notes and we'll make sure to blast that through social media when your show goes live. So we to thank, or Dr. Brown, excuse me, thank you so much for being a guest on my show today. I really appreciated you, you taking your time out of your busy schedule for us today. Thank you for having me. I also want to thank you, my listener, for tuning in today. Please subscribe to this radio show through whichever portal you join me today. Also, please go to my website where you may sign up for the free weekly recap, watch my YouTube episodes, read the articles I've written specifically for you, and purchase my previous guests' self-help products. If you'd like to work with me, be a guest on or advertise on this show, visit jamesmillerlifeology.com. Be sure to follow me on all social media platforms under the name James Miller Lifeology, except for Twitter, which is James M. Lifeology. Once again, thank you so much for your support, and I'll talk to you soon.